welcome back guys to another episode of new agreements i hope you're enjoying the sunny saturday um i am so pleased today to be with a dear not that she's old but an old friend to me holly hannah peterson thanks for joining thank you very much and am i right in assuming that you're in east london today yes yes east london very good very good those that are watching this on YouTube will know that um, my slightly dodgy second home haircut has now turned into a, <laughs> a, a, a plan B recovery and now I've gone bald. This is probably the fourth or fifth lockdown session for new agreements that we've been doing. And if you haven't heard the podcast before, really the premise is listening, talking with, conversing with interesting people that I find either in my life or on the internet, asking them about what new agreements should we have in society either with ourselves internally in our homes and how we manage our households or relate with our partners and children and parents or even at the macro scale given the world the mad crazy world that we're living in how do we organize society in a way that makes sense so yeah dead chuff to have you today holly thanks for giving me a bit of your time and sharing it with whoever's listening thank you very much it's a pleasure to be here i'm excited why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about your your journey the path you've been on that's led you to the stuff that you now think about and do as a kid i was kind of more interested probably in kind of being popular than kind of um, any kind of social justice kind of aspects um, but it all kind of changed in i guess a big way for me in when I was around about 19, 20 years old, first of all, I was doing a biology degree. And so I guess I was kind of forced to not only kind of learn what's, what's going on in the world, but then go away and actually kind of, you know, research it further. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was at that time when, you know, I learned about the ecological crisis, about the climate emergency, and just how staggering effect that is ha- having on our planet and, you know, people around the world. And at that same time as well, I I became a Christian, you know, having grounded myself in kind of what is knowing about the injustices in the world, then I've been on a bit of a journey of actually, you know, how do we tangibly change this day to day? So I started off in the NGO sector, so in different charities, galvanizing people to, you know, sign petitions, do lifestyle changes, things like that. And I did that for a number of years and actually just found myself kind of increasingly becoming quite distressed, quite kind of despondent with the amount of effort and energy and time that I was putting into doing that and just not seeing the amount of change at the speed and scale that we needed. And so then I met up with some people who were also in the NGO sector and who were also getting um, increasingly kind of distressed and frustrated. And we started thinking about, you know, what are some of the solutions that might create the change um, that's needed? And so then we started a group about six years ago called Christian Climate Action, which carries out nonviolent direct action kind of specifically regarding the climate crisis that we're facing. A year ago, well, just over a year ago, Extinction Rebellion approached us and asked if we um, would want to get involved in kind of this exciting new thing that was that was happening, which obviously kind of has, has really kind of... Um, sent shockwaves around the world and it's been so inspiring being part of that so since a year ago has been have been kind of coordinating one of the coordinators of the the christian arm of extinction rebellion alongside also my job so i work in the nhs as a mental health practitioner just to keep it spicy (laughs) so is it fair um before we get a couple of definitions from you because there's some some good words in that journey that's led you to here but is it fair to say that there's this sort of eco training in understanding how biology actually works then there's there was this kind of how do we do things in the world and how do we get thing good things done i guess ideally and you may have learned both sides of the coin through trying that but in the ngo space and then this kind of uh how does that work in our bodies the mindfulness or the um kind of inner journey that people go on as they try to navigate the world and are those three strands of eco and activism let's say and of mental health do they cover the tripod of your interests yeah those those are the three main areas that I'm kind mm. of interested in yeah and and do you find that those three cross over and are all part sort of all interrelated or are they all sort of separate areas and are you still interested in all three 
definitely still interested in all three and definitely interrelated. You know, obviously being involved in Extinction Rebellion, first of all, it's very mentally and emotionally draining. Um, mm-hmm. Doing that alongside, you know, a nine to five, especially. Um, but also just the very fact that we as a nation and as a world are, are kind of facing you know, eco-anxiety, eco-grief, that's a huge mm. thing to be processing. And then also in the mix of that, you know, it's such a such a fine line going between, you know, denial that this is happening. And then often when we find out about it, we kind of flip into despair and neither of those action orientated, you know, there's mm. such a fine line where actually, if you manage to kind of harness that emotion, then you mm. will be led to kind of take meaningful action. So which then is, makes you feel better as well. Oh, definitely. Hugely cathartic. Yeah. Okay. Can I just quick fire a couple of definitions from you? So you mentioned the term social justice. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. I guess it's kind of, it's a sliding scale. So we can think about kind of, you know, what is good to do Mm -hmm. from individuals. You know, it's good to help someone who is in need, you know, if your neighbor, you know, needs something or is kind of um, not not get very much food you know it's good to give them food for example Um, and that's on kind of an interpersonal you know person to person level but social justice um, I guess I see as more of a systems level so Mm -hmm. it's what is better overall for the system but it's also looking at that from both a preventative perspective and a kind of um, after perspective so actually how can we prevent injustices from happening around the world and actually if there is kind of an imbalance in the world in kind of privilege or economics and things like that how can we level that out so it's looking at it more in you know populations level rather than Mm. one-to-one i haven't told you this actually but the last podcast was with a professor of systems thinking from the open university and he has a he has a question for you um (laughs) which i'll post you later with regards to extinction rebellion and it's well essentially i'll give it to you now as a precursor but we'll deal with it later about what is the theory for change and and um and we'll come on to that to explain it to people but just very briefly um what do you mean when you say the ecological crisis ecological crisis is basically the fact that the environment that we need to sustain ourselves you know all populations around the world is being degraded and undone at an unprecedented rate. The extinction rate, so that's the extinction of um, of species around the world at the moment is a thousand times higher than it should be. Um, yeah, you know, ecosystems are being degraded through things like deforestation. Also the climate crisis, you know, leads to things like droughts, um, flooding, increase in natural disasters like hurricanes, things like that. And so the climate crisis is a very big part of that because it speeds up the ecological crisis. Just to kind of put it in context of kind of how quickly and it kind of um, to what degree we'd need to reverse it. There's kind of this magic number which is thrown about of 1.5 degrees warming, which we don't want to reach above pre-industrial mm-hmm. levels. I mean, any more warming is, is absolutely awful, but that is kind of the magic number which is kind of thrown around by governments. And to reach that, we would need to each year on year kind of reduce our emissions by I think it's around 7.8% per year mm-hmm. and this year we are predicted to reduce our emissions by 8% which sounds fantastic but if you think about the fact we're in kind of a, a crisis <laughs> yeah. and pandemic at the moment actually like yeah. and this seems extreme you know how much mm. change are we seeing just this year and actually we would need that every year for a decade for us mm. to not go above 1.5 degrees. I actually saw an article a couple of days ago from Carbon Brief, which I'll include in the notes for people to have a look at, which said similar to what you're describing. Does XR, I know X, it's hard to say this because there's lots of different groups and it's like when you try and you know ask for a simple answer from any kind of community, of course it's got diverse range of views, but broadly speaking with broad brushstrokes, would your community, the Christian arm of XR, maybe XR in, in, in entirety, kind of concur with the the general IPCC, the kind of international government body that comes together to decide that 1.5 or below 1.5 is okay. And the rough premise that you've described for how long we've got and how much stuff we can do and how much we need to reduce, do you kind of go along with that? Do you kind of agree with that at a science level? Everyone agrees that if we went above that, that would be catastrophic. And at the moment, actually, we are not heading on a trajectory which would keep us below 1.5. But there's, there is things kind of written into that as well, because mm-hmm. we are basically making decisions in that with whose lives are worth saving and whose lives are not. 
And it is mm -hmm. known weaving into that racism because we know that people around the world already have had their homes destroyed, mm. are experiencing huge hardship. And actually we are saying that we are putting our individual kind of lifestyles, majority kind of the Western world, but actually Australia is experiencing huge kind of um, wildfires and things like that. Mm. But actually we're saying that our continued lifestyle is actually being, mm. being put above these people. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that that premise comes into the 1.5 and everything like that, mm. and all the targets that we set, actually it's already gone too far. You know, we, there should, yeah. we should already be at net zero emissions any yeah. more emissions that we put into the world is causing kind of increased devastation yeah. and there's also it doesn't take into consideration tipping points tipping points are basically where if we reach a certain level of carbon emissions then actually we are locked in to escalating spiraling carbon emissions that we mm -hmm. cannot stop mm -hmm. so some people think we've already passed that but it's not exactly known in science where that tipping point specifically lies. You know, there's mm. a lot of kind of variation. This is an important thing to play it safe on. You know, if you yes. cross the tipping point, it is literally the end of, you know, life as we know mm. it. Um, and so if there was ever a time where we want to kind of err uh, on the side of safety, this would be it. Mm. And so the fact that that a lot of that science you know, doesn't take into consideration tipping points because there's so much kind of variation on it, mm. that is where um, I would say we need to be definitely erring on the side of safety of um, caution. And, and Malcolm Gladwell has a lovely book about tipping points, but the essential premise there is that progress doesn't happen or regression doesn't happen in a linear way. It kind of accelerates a bit like running down a hill. At some point, you're not running down the hill. The hill is running down you and you just can't stop. And if you do, yeah. it's like a calamity. One thing I should say is that Holly and I lived in a community or communal house with five or four or five of us, our friend Alex as well, and some others. And when uh, you and I, Holly, had... Uh, a glass of wine around New Year's. That um, never happened. <laughs> <laughs> I actually apologise to you because I think back now to some of the conversations that you were having slash trying to have with me and Alex at the time in the living room just discussing life as we always did and, and still do. You were trying to put on the table about the environmental crisis five, six, seven, and eight years ago. I don't know. Do you know how long ago it was? I can't remember. No. <laughs> but I wasn't really having any of it. I was kind of just saying, yeah, it's a nice, of course, of course, you know, I don't want slavery in Bangladesh. I don't want mm. poverty in East Africa. I, of course, I don't want these things, but it's just one of 20 that I'll try not to knowingly do anything, but I'm not really bothered about changing. And then I proceeded to fly around the world to, um, in 30 days. I know how it can be for people who maybe even are listening to this podcast because, well, the woods is what opened my heart up to this stuff. But then it's really only been the last year or 18 months that I've been trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together again in my life to sort of figure out how I want to be. I knew how I wanted to be in the woods, but there's no structure to have to engage with there really. But uh, now it's a question of how do I want to be in the world that is complex and global and interconnected. And now I'm having to face the realities of that. So I won't apologize again because we've already been there, but I think it's worth saying that you were bringing that story forth to me many years before I was ready to hear it. And I appreciate that because even though I wasn't ready to hear it at the time, those anchors do go in. At the time where I was ready, I'm able to start thinking about it and discussing it and bringing it forth to others now. So I appreciate that, Holly. Thanks. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I think that's kind of part of the psychology aspect, isn't it? Because mm you know there are just times we are not ready to hear messages and I think that's what I've noticed in the Corcovado community stuff we've done and the swirl events we create trying to create pockets of moments where people don't have things to do they come into the space of nothingness and it's empty and so in that moment hopefully on that day on that weekend on that trip or that afternoon we create an open-minded space where a new idea or a new thought can actually get into us and transform us rather than just being batted away because it essentially doesn't fit with the plan I've got in my mind. I can't really engage with your idea of not flying if I've booked a world tour in in three months time. I, it's too inconvenient only because of circumstance, quite short term circumstance. And I think what the woods allowed for me at 
at length was an extended period of goallessness, which meant mm -hmm. that I could absorb lots of ideas to quite a deep level, then allow them to grow in me and change how, hopefully, how I try to manifest myself out in the world. But we don't all have that privilege, but we can create smaller spaces in our weeks and our months and our years where things might pierce us a little bit more deeply than they do when we've got our armor of our doingness on a, in and around the yeah. world. And indeed, you came down to the woods at the swell and then shared um, a bunch of activism thinking with, uh, with the group, which was really appreciated. Um, mm. So back to the science for a second. Obviously, the XR lot have been going in London and causing a ruckus. That's the whole point, And we'll come on to that. And you've got the activists here. You've got the economic system and the government people here. And you're trying to create something. I guess what I'm trying to establish is how deep does the disagreement go? There must be some kind of disagreement here, hence the, the strong action. And mm -hmm. I was trying to ascertain, is there a fundamental agreement about the science? Or is that sort of roughly a disagreement? Or is it actually the science is kind of agreeable by both parties? But as you've already alluded to or, or mentioned, really, that we should be at net zero now. Is it just a case of the plans don't agree? The reason that there's disagreements is not because dis people are disagreeing on how extreme the climate crisis is, but they're disagreeing on what is possible. You lot think 2025 and the UK Gov is saying 2050, right? Yeah. And like there are some business voices in there. I saw Microsoft, they're going to try and be net zero by 2030. You know, in terms of the level of disagreement, is anybody saying 2100 or is 2050 the upper limit and 2025 is the lower limit as far as i'm aware of then yeah that is the bandwidth okay that's that's helpful and i think before we go on to get into that and the, the xr actions and what they are and what the request is and or requirement is and demand that's kind of stronger language isn't it rather than requests and and why all of that kind of seemingly aggressive approach is seems necessary there's a bit that that's worth mentioning really which is that I grew up in a Christian culture, community environment, going to church when I was young, and then a more informal but group bound by essentially theology, a belief, an embodied belief that this Christian story works. In latter years, and since going to the woods, I've stepped away from it and let go of all of that, I would say, rather than throwing it away, let go of it all to try and embrace a direct path and look at the world from scratch. But I was struck a couple of months ago when I read your blog about baptism, and I'd love you to talk to us a bit about it. I'll just say my two pence on it before I hand it to you, which is, regardless of what background any, anybody listening to this is from, if you actually read the chapters in the Bible, the books in the Bible of the story of Jesus, the guy from Nazareth who walked around doing stuff, if you actually think about him and imagine that he's not Jesus, but he's some other character that we know of in today's society, it was unbelievable what he was walking around doing. And then what the followers of that guy ended up doing to their own lives as a result of following him. And the symbols like being dunked in water to show I'm moving away from this and into something new was also, it's an incredibly exciting story. It's, it's, dreadful and traumatic and incredible and magic and the actual story written down is phenomenal and for me one of the biggest disappointments in life is that I don't really see any of that in even though so many people talk about their faith and Christianity and I see a lot of uh, benefit in people being part of Christian communities for themselves <laughs> by paying a little bit to some charities and a little bit to some mission work but the relative cost of doing that versus the massive security for your own life by being a part of this vetted community that has this sort of theological boundary of saying well if you kind of sort of agree with these things then you get to be in the club and we do a little bit out you know, I think there would be a lot of people listening that have a view that they might be similar to that. I've got to say that when I read your blog about your baptism, I think, in the XR activities, it struck me as, oh, my gosh, this looks like what I've read about. This looks like the good stuff. Now, it doesn't necessarily change 
any beliefs I have about what is real or how we think about theology on that deep level, but on a heart level, I'm like, this is the good stuff. This is the real stuff. And that's sort of where I'm coming at when I sort of ask you the question. But so, yeah, so talk to us about that and what the significance is of carrying that Christian label within the XR and mm. are Christians seen as square within XR or not? First of all, I just want to say I'm part of Extinction Rebellion and um, the Christian kind of arm of that, which is called Christian Climate Action. Not because I think I am perfect for the role. You know, I've, I've been privileged enough to do a biology degree, but that's kind of hardly a, a climate kind of degree. I don't think that I have all the answers. I don't think I know all the, all the stuff. And I'm not taking part because I think I'm right to do this. I'm taking mm -hmm. part because if I don't, then I, you know, if not me, then who? You know, I'm mm -hmm. just doing it because I know someone needs to do it. So it, it might as well be me then. That's a scary situation to put yourself in when you are completely assured that you know you're good at something you're skilled at something that feels quite safe you know staying inside of your comfort zone but every single time I go to do these things I am hugely stepping outside of my comfort zone mm -hmm. and there's so much of the stuff we do which is just quite overwhelming on that specific protest that I decided to get baptized on but we were having a meeting, I think it was the October rebellion of last year. And um, about 20 of us had a meeting the, the day before um, we were due to um, take Lambeth Bridge. And, you know, I was so scared. I was pacing around. I couldn't listen to people. I was literally just like, speak really quickly because I literally <laughs> like, I just, I was like palpably <laughs> really anxious. And we went around the, we went around the circle and we did like a check-in at the beginning and you know no one was like oh I'm so this is so exciting I'm so looking forward to this everyone was like I haven't been able to sleep I feel like I've got like a, a blank across my, my my chest it was like the most intense therapy session ever you know when kind of thinking about how these things come together and the amount of planning you know you have to do it all secretly so you can't just like you know um whatsapp someone you know you have mm. to have kind of specific channels but also you have no idea how the police are going to respond you have no idea how the public are going to respond mm. to some of these things people are putting their liberty on the line so you know they don't know how they're they people have lost friends over this people mm. have lost kind of family and things like that it's very anxiety provoking and so i decided to get baptized in that protest not because you know I am Christian, therefore I pray. I am Christian, therefore I be baptized. <laughs> because I, I felt like I needed it. When I think of Jesus, I do not have this strange image in their head that people have of him being some like pushover, kind of like, oh yes, I will do whatever you want of me. You know what I mean? Which, which I, I went to a Catholic school and that was what they kind of basically told me that Jesus and Mary they were these people who were very quiet and well behaved and you should probably mm. be like that as well it's just not the jesus which i kind of feel like i just you know i'm i'm in love with so mm. i just love that gritty character of jesus who you know is that is something that i want to live my life by i in no way you know meet that um but just the thought of there's an injustice here what is needed to kind of overcome that does that make me scared yes well I'm going to try to kind of take kind of steps forward anyway the reason why I decided to be baptized is because because I wanted to be close to Jesus at that time but also one of kind of the biggest things that I kind of feel when I'm doing activism is that you know we're not doing this to be successful we are doing this to be faithful that mm. actually whatever the odds you know there is such a minute chance that we could turn this climate crisis around but mm. whatever the odds I'm just going to do it because you know that's what being faithful looks like at this time actually mm. I'm going to stand up to justice just like Jesus did mm. so baptism for you in that moment when you were absolutely bricking it was about just needing some Dutch courage basically and because Jesus represents that to you and your love I know it's not just academic but that sort of love you've described by participating in some I mean are we talking about being dunked in water are we talking about that yeah. kind of baptism so, so I wasn't dunked in water but splashed yeah okay yeah but in that sense of participating in a ritual that has is imbued with meaning for you by participating in that in that moment that gave you some courage basically you felt you're getting closer to the source if you will and able to yeah. and did it work like did it feel did you feel comforted or braver or stronger by doing it or was or were you just glad that you did in that moment 
it was a really kind of profound experience for me actually I'm a bit hesitant I guess at rightly or wrongly kind of talking in very kind of spiritual language um, just because of you know the baggage of is she preaching all I can do is tell them a story and yeah. people can take it how they will that's um, fine that's good for me it was a very kind of um, moving experience and then it actually happened that it wasn't only me who was baptized like 10 people decided that they also wanted to be kind of baptized on that day so we ended up kind of baptizing each other I kind of burst into tears afterwards and so did my friend and we end up just mm. kind of hugging each other and it wasn't necessarily courage it was more comfort it was that feeling of sadness as well you know like why the hell are we having to do this why the mm. hell am I not at home having a cup of tea like I would mm. like to be why mm. do I have to be like spending a week in the rain or like two weeks in the rain mm. kind of blocking roads almost kind of grieving with God in that moment and then also just kind of experiencing that comfort yeah in that moment wow that's proper that's the proper stuff and before we get off the Christian thing, I, I know a bunch of Christians because of where I've come from, but I don't spend any time in Christian spaces really anymore. I've presented my view of Christianity that often, nearly always, frankly, it's not anything like what I've read about and not pertaining to the world that we find ourselves in, in a way that I find uh, inspiring, frankly. Is that your experience or not? Or not? <laughs> I guess, first of all, there's lots of them, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> They're bloody everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you know, people are going to take it in, diff in different ways. And I have met some Christians who I have been really inspired by and who have, you know, changed my view of Christianity for the better. I guess, if I'm being honest, I, I do... It does make me feel quite kind of sorrowful for the church sometimes, if I'm being honest. You know, when I think about when Jesus was there, you know, he he did kind of express comfort to the general people who were living in oppression. You know, they, mm. the people who, who needed that message were being oppressed. And actually, he got really angry with the oppressors. Mm. And actually, kind of, if we look at kind of the world on that scale, where do we kind of massively sit? Actually, our day to day causes huge oppression to to mm. people around the world and mm. actually we do need a bit of an angry message just to kind of shake us mm. and just be like what the hell are we doing it mm. doesn't matter if we have the right perspectives and the right views if actually we're not doing anything mm. with it so actually kind of creating that kind of tangible change that said christians have created a lot of devastation in the world christians have created a lot of good in the world so mm. yeah it's um it's a mixed bag yeah that's for sure okay but i do find myself getting probably the most frustrated with the church <laughs> yeah <laughs> just because it's like i don't know it's that kind of um that kind of biasness mixed with the kind of inaction which is it's it's that kind of equation isn't it and also if we just look at things like um you know the church has hundreds of millions of pounds invested in fossil fuels like yeah. that alone it's just like what are we doing yeah. it's ridiculous yeah <laughs> anyway well, indeed, indeed. And that contradiction runs through all of us as well, doesn't it? As you've already said, mm -hmm. bringing it up a level, you mentioned earlier, like that feeling where you're like, what the bloody hell am I doing? I might have added the swear words in, but you know, what the bloody hell am I doing on this I probably bridge? took those swear words out. So. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be at home drinking tea. Some people will be listening to this saying, yeah, you should be. Why the bloody hell are you blocking up our bridges? So there's an agreement on the science, broadly speaking, just, just throw it out there. There's a disagreement on the plan between 2025 and 2050. Yeah. So why is then the next answer, we're going to go and stuff up London for a week or whatever? Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so there are principles to it. There's research behind it. And there are different aspects which are more likely to make it successful. Three of the main ones are nonviolent. Mm -hmm. which is generally a principle that people go, oh yeah, we can kind of, we can agree with that. And that is nonviolent emotionally as well as practically. Mm -hmm. I've spoken about kind of these feelings of anger, but actually underneath anger, that's a defensive emotion. Underneath anger is vulnerable emotion. So sadness, anxiety, you know, embarrassment, things like that. And so we try to, when we are on the ground, keep in touch with those vulnerable emotions um, and not do the kind of, you know, when someone shouts at you, kind of get a job when you have a nine to five. 
um, you try not to respond angrily you try to kind of say oh, I'm very sorry that you said that you know it makes me feel sad which is quite hard to do there's also um sacrifice and this is a strange one sacrifice and I think it and it's kind of psychological why it works if people are willing to sacrifice for a cause it almost kind of shows sincerity and things mm -hmm. like that so that is what that is one of the reasons why lots of people are getting arrested for extinction rebellion because that's part of that sacrifice element so one of my friends for example is no longer able to see his family in america because mm. of it yes it's almost um, the currency by which that conversation carries weight isn't it you know it's almost yeah. like you buy you buy coffee in a shop for a fiver uh, in London, you know, the gourmet ones, almost if you're trying to talk about change and disruption and, and, you know, quite a strong conversation, it's hard to communicate it in a meaningful way without that currency of sacrifice, yeah. I guess. That does make sense. It kind of makes people sit up and listen, I guess. Exactly. And the last one is disruption. That is mainly economic disruption. So mm. the reason why that's important is because we need to think about who has vested interests in keeping the status quo, basically. Mm -hmm. So the companies that are benefiting from the climate crisis, their currency is money, you know, mm. and so they have so much money and mm. so much power to be convincing the government that actually, you know, business as usual is, is kind of important. The reason why kind of economic disruption is so important is because that is almost the language of the government. You know, mm. there's so many times where in this, for example, this pandemic that we've been experiencing, the term has been thrown around of, you know, we need the economy to get back to usual instead of we yeah. need society to get back to get back yeah, to normal. Yeah. And that's yeah. just kind of so telling, isn't it, actually? Mm. You know, it's that is the main thing that kind of um, governments um, care about. And so disruption it's basically kind of how can we within our power have effect on economics so that's why it's kind of blocking roads kind of police cells and things like that because all end, this though? causes economic disruption and, and why actually, that that's what makes the government because that's what makes the government pay attention that's it's it's basically the bottom line which yeah. makes them actually listen and when companies start saying to them you know it's affecting our bottom line you need mm. to do something about this it mm. actually creates the tension so martin luther king always said we would love to do a tactic of engagement and actually mm. that's what we have been doing for how long have we been mm. trying to engage like mm. sending petitions all this mm. stuff and it has not created the change that's needed there mm. has been so much engagement until kind of covid19 global mm. emissions were still on the rise mm. like that has not worked and mm. so actually you know it's only as a last resort that we carry out nonviolent direct action and, and who are the companies you're talking about because obviously companies is a broad church as well is my mate's little video company part of the status quo? Like, you know, who, who, do, you, who do you care about? Yeah, so basically fossil fuel companies, they are the main ones who are obviously, you know, making money out of this. There is so much kind of, so much evidence. These companies have been actively blocking policies to make the transition into, mm. into the green economy. So I think kind of like corporations is probably a better word to use than kind of companies. You mean like massive multinational billion dollar businesses that are closely related with or, or that the government quickly listens to sort of thing is that is that does that characterize them shell bp yeah. it's when the companies get so big that they mm. start to put so much influence on government that actually they are almost the ones that are kind of setting the policies where mm. it becomes a difficulty any company and any individual has the responsibility to kind of as much as within their graph kind of make ethical decisions you know that's that's kind of on all of us for example, the companies that are asking for kind of, you know, government bailouts at the moment where, but actually they've been kind of giving such a huge bonuses to kind of some of their staff and stuff like that. It erodes what's better for the, for the community and just goes in the pockets of a few. So those are the aspects that go into public disruption. Those three that you mentioned around sacrifice and disruption. What was the first one? Nonviolence. Nonviolence, right? In order to do what i guess is the question one question actually before we go on to the demands and then the theory of change which is the question posed by ray when i see xr on the telly it's just xr talking about xr as in we xr are doing this we xr are doing that is xr part of a movement where there's lots of organizations and if so what are some of the other ones and if not, is it a charity then that is an institution? Not that that makes it bad, but like Friends of the Earth is an institution, you know, that has to raise its own funds to 
sustain its employees, etc. Is XR part of a movement? And if so, who are the partners? Um, and why do we not hear about them? So there's something called the movement of movements. That is basically saying that XR is acknowledging that there are lots of groups who have been doing this kind of stuff for many, many years. And so Extinction Rebellion is one of the groups involved in that. So there's lots of different groups involved in that. So obviously Christian Climate Action um, is part of that. We work very closely with Fulbari Solidarity. There's Wretched of the Earth. Extinction Rebellion isn't a charity because it would not be able to get charitable status because it mm. does civil disobedience. And the way you've sort of described it, to my head, it might just be my business training, but it sounds like it's been acquired by XR. So you, you were a group doing your stuff and then the brand of XR, because the branding is sick for XR. It's not like, it's not accidental yeah. branding. There's some serious minds going into building that branding. And it sounds like you've kind of been acquired by it. And the truth is it works because it's easier for me to talk with you, with you being part of XR than just being Christian's climate action. Yeah. But I wonder if there's a cost to that. It sounds almost like, you know, a company that goes out and buys lots of other companies and brings them into a group almost. And I don't know how it feels from your side, but sort of how it seems from this side. To some people, kind of having that association with XR, kind of Extinction Rebellion might be painful. Um, and there's kind of, but there's also, you know, lots of benefits of that as well. Because it's grassroots, it's basically people deciding, what do I want to do with my spare time? Oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to participate in this. So it's, it's very fluid. Mm. Um, and because people... Gen generally know what you mean when mm. you say Extinction Rebellion. So it cuts quite a lot of those mm. conversations. If I said to someone, you know, I'm part of a non-violent direct action group called Christian Climate Action, mm. they might be like, don't really know what that involves, you know, don't really know what that means. Whereas if yeah, you say yeah. I'm part of Extinction Rebellion, it, it makes that conversation just a lot quicker. If I can give a bit of feedback for a second, and this is a result yeah. of a conversation with Andy Smitherman, who I know you know as well. You know, I said to him, well, what would you have XR people do when they're on the telly for three minutes? And he was like, well, talk about other people in the movement. That would be being a good participant as somebody getting a, a large share of voice within the movement. Mm. And I said, well, that's not really how it works. You know, a news broadcaster brings you on for one, two, three minutes to batter you about the one thing that you've been doing in public. They don't want to hear you talk about your mates, but you can shoehorn in, in my limited experience of media stuff, when if you've got one minute, you can shoehorn in 10 seconds of talking about other people and what they're doing and get away with it because you kind of send it out there and then bring it back to the point that they're making. And so if it is part of a movement and it wants to see itself as part of an ecology of diverse yeah. and grassroots groups, You've mentioned two or three other things that we can then link in the description that point to other things happening elsewhere that isn't just centralized. No matter how mm. the governance structure works inside the brand, it's still one brand within a number of brands. So for me, yeah. that those almost backlinks back to other organizations that are running completely different ways that you've got no control over makes yeah. me believe more. Oh, you are part of a group of random people doing lots of different random things, which gives it more trust for me basically there's so much power in that as well because you know xr in this country is seen as like extreme but it is not you know like mm. there are people around the world losing their lives in protests mm. like this mm. and actually they're the people who are doing the real sacrifice and they're the people who we should be kind of really telling their stories so the question from ray eisen so the professor at open university he yeah. said to me you know, oh, when I mentioned about XR, he said, well, ask them what their theory of change is, because his critique is that with these citizens' assemblies, which, and again, tell me if you understand them to be different to what I'm explaining, getting a random sample of people from, in this case, the UK, to be in discourse and discussion around these important subjects and make decisions at a grassroots level. He said he's all for all that, as long as it sees itself within the context of governance and is connected to governance and basically has the pipe that leads back to power, basically, to actually make those choices. And, oh, and he does go on to say, and if it's not, then I don't see any point in it. You know, you've got those three points. What's your theory for change then from there? And is there a route to connecting it to actual power and 
decision-making capital. When I first heard those three asks, I thought they were good. And then whenever I kind of went through a process of kind of hearing them afresh and being like, they are incredible. Okay. Um, and <laughs> so I, I'm like really impressed by them. The last one about that citizens assembly, it often happens with non-violent threat action groups that they squabble over the how. Mm -hmm. So everyone comes together and says there's a problem, mm. quickly falls apart when you start thinking about, okay, so how are we going to find a solution? It becomes mm. really fragmented, becomes lots of infighting, mm. whereas actually in those three asks, there's not a how in there at all. Yeah. Um, so it basically says, you know, you need to declare this. Um, you need to basically kind of act now. You need to kind of, um, mm -hmm. this is the bottom line of the 2025. What the citizens, what the citizens assembly or people's assembly does, it basically is that kind of that justice element. We need to not do this in a way which is oppressive to the poorest people. Yeah. We need to do this in a way which takes into consideration the desires, the needs, the lives of people throughout kind of our, our society. Ideally, that would also take into consideration people in other parts of the world. That would be a real kind of justice way of doing yeah. it. But if we just look at those three initial asks yes that would definitely be linked in with government if it wasn't linked in with government there'd be absolutely kind of no point in doing that the ins and outs and the hows of like the people's mm. assemblies and the citizens assemblies i have kind of left that as something which i am mm. you know i'm not i just can't engage with everything yeah so I, I don't know the ins and outs of, of course how it would if we don't have you know otherwise it's just kind of an echo chamber we've just got a load of people together saying what they want and then what what happens with that yeah you know, they just yeah. chat to each other it's i don't know fed out in the press and then it yeah. kind of it's like a whisper in the wind. This may actually be the state of the art, if you will. This may be where we've got to, hence why your runway kind of runs out there as well. And that's interesting. So it's interesting for me to know, and it may be in links that you're able to send me afterwards, like, is this because this is where Extinction Rebellion have got to? You know, actually, we've been focusing on make the declaration, okay, tick focusing on net zero and by 2025 and okay it's on the map now at 50 but we'd try and reel that one in to 2025 or 2030 or whatever i don't think anyone's going to disagree with the idea of having citizens assemblies what's not to like okay. people get to share their views the question as you say is just and as ray posed is what is the plan to pipe that back into some form of power and i think yeah. this is where the experiments we've been doing with Corco are two different ways of getting at the notion of agency and power, plugging that solar panel into a system, if you know what I mean, to actually use the power that comes from it. And, you know, I'm opting for this route that is just make stuff up with a small group of people and collectivize tiny little, little bits of social and financial capital in ways to start forming a different imagination of how to deploy power in a tiny way um, that speaks to the values you're describing without constraint. The other way around it is search in the dark for a plug socket for, you know what I mean, to plug your thing in and hopefully find a way to connect it back to policy and governance, basically. And that's not actually a critique. That's just, mm. from my perspective, that's fascination. If there is one, what is the plan? If there isn't one, who's interested in making one like whether you like how it happened or not with the blo blocking roads and stuff tick and half a tick and it's really that final question of like okay well what's the how then and does it plug back in and if that can happen then that's quite exciting it's quite mm. exciting and certainly intriguing for me because in another way I'm also doing something similar where I'm experimenting yeah. thinking about how you have a system that actually serves the grassroots voices and deploys actual decision-making agency not just proxy votes like we we used to do in a proxy vote every two to four years where we don't really decide on things we possibly decide on the person that might decide on things if they have yeah. a chance to influence it at all which is quite distant from a you know actually having my share of equity in decision making if we can kind of get the government to set up a um, a group of people who are um who are representative society who then basically kind of make the collective decision of, and kind of you know that that is that is what government listens to mm. then theoretically that mm. is a great way of kind of making the decision on the how basically mm. how this mm. happens the bits that i am able to say is just through kind of like you know hearing or kind of reading little snippets yeah. here and then so i'll go away and i'll have a look and i'll, I'll send you anything that kind of sticks out yeah definitely i think you do what you do incredibly well and i've explained on this call about how you've 
for example, impacted me in first person and both back in the day when we lived together and how you're living your life bravely now. To mention Russell Brand again, it seems a bit too much, but when he first did his big hurrah and came out, you know, for the first time having a go with Paxman, and he got suffered a lot of critique without people saying, where's your plan, mate? All very good and well, but where's your plan? And I, I remember thinking then, and I feel it now with you and with XR more generally, like, shut up, everybody. How can you expect one person to be both the person that brings forward the problem and solves it? That's so much work to mm. bring forward a problem, to frame a question or to even go as far as you've gone in framing some three, you know, net zero by this time frame. I think you know, they're very different skills, very, very different skills of how to sort of generate a problem firstly, and then to try and solve it and apply it. And so as far as I'm concerned, whether people like XR or not, the job isn't necessarily to solve the problem, but the job is to do a bit of work in framing it. And in my own little way, I feel I am taking the baton on and saying, literally, I'm saying to you now, give me the best information you've got so that I am as well informed as I can be as somebody who is a plan maker. I am Mm. a plan maker and a builder, so I can not waste any of my time thinking about stuff that I don't need to think about and think about all the things I can think about. Every time you guys have been blocking up London, I have not gone. I've been inspired and sat down at my computer and carried on designing. Mm. And literally I have. I've literally woken up, on, looked on Facebook, seen madness in the streets and thought right I better go and do my work and I've gone and sat at my computer and started carrying on designing and building the things that I'm building to whatever extent that has any material consequence Mm. but it's just as you said it's all I can do and I'm just doing what I can do so exactly I guess the only responsibility and probably goes back to my previous point about making sure there's backlinks to other organizations yeah if there is a critique it's not that you should be solving the problem, but at least where's yeah. the, where is the clearly extended hand to the makers and builders saying, we need to pass the baton on. We've done, we are, we're like 50% of the way through our checklist. Our job's almost done. Is it then going to fall to the ground and go back to where we were? And then we will look like Muppets. Or can we pass the, the baton on and actually get something built that we've created space for? almost is worse it probably is worse frankly if you create space and then don't occupy it you know like if you think about it in land agricultural terms if you take away a bunch of biodiverse bracken and uh, you know wildlife habitat and you clear it all there was good things in there maybe not the things you wanted but there was stuff in there you clear it all ready yeah. to grow a whole new diverse amazing plantation for the next hundred years and then you and then no one comes in with a with a tractor or a spade and you just leave it, it's worse. So I guess my personal request would be not to feel, to take the load of doing more further down the pipe, but to do the work of reaching out to pass the yeah. baton on. I'm lucky that I know you so well. I, and and mm-hmm. so through our relationship, I feel that connection and able to think mm-hmm. about things and be inspired by what you're doing. But that may or may not be the case more broadly. I don't, frankly, I don't really know, but it just feels yeah. like that's the natural next step, if you will. And I guess kind of that's different ways to different organisations as well, because we definitely need to be better in creating ties with NGOs and other nonviolent direct action groups. Mm. I guess kind of with other aspects of society, you'd hope that through declarations of climate emergency and things like that and going kind of net zero by 2025 the government would have to move funds into areas which would be doing the kind of other areas of different work so that is almost kind of the role of government to be able to create the currency to create that more capacity yeah it's a a weird thing what I'm about to say next and it's not something I've thought of before or planned so I may edit it out and I may not agree (laughs) with myself in the future but I'll say it anyway which is a sign of a good conversation basically yes because I do a lot of coaching with you know individuals in small organizations but sort of something in my brain there has fired off in this conversation again which is like in a way it feels like Extinction Rebellion has done enough and my feeling is to say you've done well you've done a good job like you've actually done you've broken the back of the job that you're set up to do And 
the temptation is naturally because you're in fight mode it's just got to keep pushing got to keep pushing got to keep pushing but my inclination is to say pretty much give or take from what i've heard sounds like you've done a good job i mean it's funny because i sit exactly in this position with my notebook here and my video zoom call on doing exactly coaching so that's probably why i'm in that mindset but, <laughs> but just viewing this whole global movement in the same way i view a small business with three staff it's well done you've done it actually the job now is just a completely different job which is find the organizations and the people who are the makers and builders who probably are like me on the edge of your world but not in it to pass that baton on to and work with and co-create but maybe it's like a chapter two as you said the how is hard and in a way the more i think people are empowered to say this is the xr job and it's done now the question is how and the answer is we don't know so let's try a thousand experiments within one year so that three of them are good and one of them is successful in plugging both a good voice facilitation system and the effective plug back into some source of power so that it becomes real you just got to rapidly iterate on that as fast as possible to make the whole system work do you know what i mean because your yeah. your theory of yeah. change depends on that final connection if you will so can i come back please, on that please so um i get what you're saying mm -hmm. first of all i didn't say that the how is hard it is mm. but actually we've got most of the solutions out there it's not that these ideas have not been come up with they have but they are not being funded by the government but that's your theory though is that the government will fund it well no that that's what we're that, that's not our theory that's what we're trying to do so that's but, one sorry of that's our, your how then yeah but actually it's not a how because there are lots of different things so and i also didn't say how is difficult but it's how basically quite often breaks movements mm. so it's basically the lots of people can agree and come together around an injustice but actually when you start saying what's the alternative people have lots of different ideas people then get like oh but that's actually unjust because of x but what are you haven't basically there because there's no kind of perfect solution to the majority of these things it often creates fractures within movements and then mm. the movement dies out because of infighting mm -hmm. um whereas actually the very kind of aspect of not saying a how saying actually the how needs to come from the people is a good way of kind of um I thought kind of framing the how mm. the only aspect of that how that that you're talking about mm. that I think Extinction Rebellion could have an input in the government can declare a climate emergency but it actually you know never has to give a dime to any kind of of the organizations that you're talking about whereas it's actually kind of putting increasing pressure and saying that actually you know there is an economic cost to you not putting this money into this organizations because we are going to keep on disrupting roads we are going to keep on kind of blocking up court systems and things like that and creating these economic costs it basically means that it's more likely that the government may make the decision that you're talking mm. about to kind of fund these organizations yes i hear you uh, and, and that's I... the theory of change i am not inspired personally at this point today by that that end theory of change i don't hear we're going to keep disrupting the government till they give us lots of money to get people together to collect their voices just being honest i don't think that's going to happen i didn't say give us money i mean give money to the to the green sector to give to organizations like you're talking about to do to expand and do better work oh i thought you were saying to fund the citizens assemblies no 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 to fund the the companies and the organizations which are going to be doing good stuff mm -hmm. so what's yeah. the role of the citizens assembly the role of the citizens assembly is to make sure that everyone's voice is heard so that's true actually i guess it would be kind of a coming together of what do the citizens assemblies think the role of kind of housing is for example mm -hmm. because there's lots of ways that houses need to change to be able mm. to reach the net zero emissions mm. but actually we need to take into consideration the the fact that you know some people already kind of mm. can't afford housing some people you know it's they they can't afford to kind of change aspects of the sure. house so what will the government then be giving money to allow you know that to be facilitated for example i guess to put it in first person right if i follow the journey so far boom 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 the three things in your in your demands i look at what i've been doing with a group of people over the last well everything from corco but there's a specific group over the last year that have been meeting every quarter and they're now meeting every month, putting a small amount of real money into an account each month and forming how to make 
decisions around that in a kind of direct way. So I hear where you're coming from, right? Coming down the path and getting closer to achieving sort of 50% or more of the demands you set out to do. And I'm looking at my group and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, we could be meeting here. But then when I hear you say, what we're going to do is get the government to put the money in. Mm. I'm like, oh, that's your plan. It mm. doesn't potentially include what I think I'm making with my guys. Okay, that's fine. But that's not what this is all. Because obviously we're just, in, something's emerging. And you wonder when you're doing something that's emerging, oh, where will it land? And, and what, what will it connect to? In the same way I'm talking about mm. where will your plan connect? And you're, you've both got, you, and I'm just using myself and our group as an example in this case. But it's like, oh, will it go bing? Oh, actually, that's a baton that gets passed. Or if you've already selected, it's not one of these. It's bing, we're going this way. Then I'm like, yeah. okay, well, that's not one of the places where we're going to connect into mm. then. I guess I'm saying I am inspired by the journey so far. And even if there isn't a way to connect, it is what I do take inspiration from it. Just to make my point clear, I doubled down on the point about not being prescriptive about the how. I'm saying you could be even less prescriptive, but you could be more clear in just from my two pence about saying we are not doing the how and we've got some kind of a fund now or some kind of program where we actually are you know a bit like how a seed investor says we're the investor mm. we we want your ideas like we want to fund a thousand projects we want to support a thousand projects they're all from other people all around the world you know a bit like my Solvi project with Louis we, we go around the world and we listen to young people and ask them for their ideas so that we can just support them because some of them might mm. be what we're looking for. Mm. XR came out and said, calling for methods for citizens and people assemblies, different ideas, mm. different ways of gathering to put all the theory that you say you've already got, all the theories are there, like go build them. Let's see what they look like in practice. And that may already be there within your community, but I, maybe I just don't know about it. No, it's it's definitely not. And I think we we don't want to be the way that, for example, we're asking the government to fund these organisations, but mm. that money shouldn't go via XR. Like, as you say, we should be the ones that do the agitating, then the government should give the money directly to the people who, exactly as you're saying, the projects. I think it would be really risky for Extinction Rebellion if they were the vehicle through which that money got kind of dispensed out. Yeah, not um, from the government, but you probably have some of your own money anyway, even if you gave each project a tenner. I don't have any kind of obviously input into Extinction Rebellion funds, but I can speak from kind of Christian climate action. It, it's not lucrative. Let's <laughs> 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 just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, um, but I mean, I think probably the back and forth we're having in this for the last, you know, few minutes about this, again, only highlights the point that in here is the interesting next yeah. phase isn't it how that gets Definitely. done all of that said everything we've covered from christianity to xr to government to carbon when you look at the world that we're facing 2020 the next decade the rest of our lives let's say is there a sort of a new agreement that if you had carte blanche you didn't have to play power games you didn't have to do agitation you just got to write the blank check kind of thing the blank contract let's say not blank check what is the new agreement? Is there one that you can think of that you just wish we could all just agree to? I guess that it would be kind of starting off quite broadly. It would be that people and the environment were given the value that they deserve. Mm -hmm. If that was kind of the premise that every policy was based on, then that would have such a profound impact on how we live our lives I mean just looking at kind of the the pandemic that we're in at the moment it's fantastic that we are valuing human life at the moment think about the amount that has changed in the last few months that we would have thought was impossible that we mm. were told was impossible beforehand yeah. China built a hospital in 10 days yeah. you know the government is you know paying 80% yeah. or some people's wages flights have kind of almost ground to a halt and that is because mm. we are prioritizing yeah. people and yeah. so if at the core of each policy that was made, you know, we valued people and, and the environment. I hear you. And how would you know that this new agreement of putting people and the planet at the heart of every policy, how would you know that that's happening? Like what would be an indicator of that, that that agreement is being subscribed to? I don't think there is a set rule where, or like an equation that you could kind of have a, have a cross or a tick next to. 
that is a really hard one to answer. <laughs> well, because it would come by a case by case basis, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be each individual kind of each individual kind of policy that was made. Um, I guess it would be kind of an equation because you do almost kind of, for example, if you're thinking about, you know, plastic consumption, um, part of that equation would be, you know, the people making that, making that item, you know, all, all the way kind of along, along the supply chain. It would be about, you know, the, the, the oceans, um, biodiversity, things like that. So there would be a lot to consider in mm. that. I'm not saying it wouldn't be hard. <laughs> no, of course. And that's why I push you a little further before we close, because... Ultimately, that's why the show is called New Agreements, because it's easier in some ways to talk about, or a different piece of work at least, to talk about what would be the values by which we, we, we begin our imagination and our conversations. The rub really comes when it comes to signing on the line for a, a, a specific um, that, that, that those values lead us to. And maybe that's part of what this you know, show's about, is about trying to encourage that I guess there's a number of different policies involved. So have you heard of um, like Polly Higgins who said um, who wants to kind of bring ecocide into law? Things like that would just mean that this kind of mass devastation would be would be mm -hmm. prevented. And that's kind of a very tangible thing, which um, mm -hmm. which could be which could hold governments and kind of corporations to account. When you mention about the imagination of what, um, you know, what has occurred recently, you talked about planes not flying you talked about hospitals being built immediately paying 80 percent of people's wages yeah paying paying loads of you know supporting people economically supporting them health wise and and basically not flying which leading to less environmental sort of pollution over a very short period of time I'm linking back to now the policies of XR and thinking the only actual practical thing out of the three demands is the net zero by 2050. Of course, life is far more complicated than one metric. Yeah. And I like what you said about that. But let's say we wrote that and signed it off, you know, every all the government signed it off and delivered against it 2025. Would that do the business or does that not would that or does that not do the business for you? Like the new agreement that Holly wants, not not on behalf of the organization now, but just does that like cover it or is that now nah, that's just one piece of the puzzle? That is a really good question. Yeah, I think I'd actually much rather have a specific kind of rule like that. Actually, it's much more easier to keep, I guess, keep governments to account for that mm. and to measure it. And actually, as you say, it's much more difficult to measure, you know, whether in every single individual policy they've um, put people in the environment first. You know, with everything, it's not one rule will kind of solve everything. But I think that would, I mean, uh, that would be absolutely incredible if, if there are um, net zero governed by 2025. Yeah. That would be exceptional. But in a way, this is a micro version of everything we've described, which is the fact that you don't get to metrics that you can measure and shut people down on until somebody's created the values conversation and, and created yeah. that primary connection. And it's only with the care and interest you're describing that you can get to these metrics yeah. and um, things to close people down on. And me re-entering the system after, you know, being off in the woods, I'm only interested really in shutting the shit down. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, yeah. there's enough good stuff out there but it's like, how do we close this down? How do we get it done and be like, be a closer, basically? That's kind of the mindset with which I'm coming back into the world, you know, to close down what you're describing about putting people and planet in the center. Mm. Sounds like at least as a first step, reeling in the 2050 to a back to a 2030 or 2025 yeah. would be the first step in, in your new agreement. Yeah, it's like the why and the what, isn't it? You know, why? Because we want to be valuing like people in the environment. So what is one of the tangible ways that it can be done? So yeah, mm. that sounds good. I think I've hijacked it a little bit somehow in the midst of all that. But, um... <laughs> I'm glad you did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because yours is way better than mine. <laughs> well, I hope that the listeners can hear that actually the truth is that nothing comes out of ourselves, does it? It always comes out through emergence of um things coming together in a particular moment in time so hopefully you guys um have enjoyed listening to holly's experiences told so honestly and openly which is something i've always appreciated about you holly and from strength to strength i hope you go it's uh, amazing being able to be 
uh, in the cheap seats on your journey, watching it unfold. And um, I hope we can keep both publicly and privately continuing to jam because it's a lot of fun aside from anything else. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's exciting to be part of these conversations. Yeah, it's good. It's an interesting time to be alive. And before I sign off and say goodbye to everybody, is there anything that I haven't been thoughtful enough to ask you that you want to say before we go? I guess there's one thing that I want to just kind of mention about Extinction Rebellion is that the things that make the headlines is the arrests and mm. the things like that. Just want to highlight that actually, you know, it's almost like an, an iceberg where the bit that you see above is is the arrest but actually there's a huge part under the iceberg which is all the pe all the support people mm. who are needed to you know do lots of different parts of extinction rebellion and also support those arrests so i think there's, there's a big misunderstanding that to get involved it means that you, know, you have to be willing to to, to risk arrest but it's just not the case. If anyone does kind of want to get involved, then mm. there's always kind of something that your gifts will be mm. used for. So please do. And if people want to get hold of you, what's the best way? Are you on Twitter or something like that? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. So it's Holly and then an A and then Peter Sen with an S-E-N. And it's um, Holly H-O-L-L-Y. Yeah, H-O-L-L-Y, um, A-P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N. And nice. then there's also Christian Climate Action, which on Twitter is C Climate Action. And I will stick in the blog as well from your, your baptism post because I thought that was oh. very inspiring. And if you ping me any links that you happen to find uh, along your travels before I manage to post this, then I'll include them as well. Holly, thank you so much for your time and sharing your journey with us. It's uh, a really cool voice to have in the mix. I'm really glad that we managed to get the question answered from Ray as well from last week. It's nice seeing the connections between these podcasts, feeling that there is a bit of a collective conversation happening from lots of different angles and i hope you guys have enjoyed that and i look forward to well seeing you next week or the week after or whenever i manage to get another good quality guest on the show um take care thanks holly thank you very much <laughs>